Welcome to the Two Medics podcast. My name is Theresa Gunawardner. I'm a cardiology registrar subspecializing in intervention. Hi, my name's Beth and John, and I'm, I had the urge there to also say I'm a cardiology registrar. Oh, so definitely. Yeah. No, Manifest. I, I could not. No. I could never, but yeah, my name's Beth and John and I'm a GP trainee, ex-neurosurgery trainee, specialising in everything, nothing, all that in between, but definitely not a cardiology registrar. That's a, yeah, who'd want to be a cardiology registrar, right? But they, that is actually one of the topics this week. There was some direct comparisons made. And so yeah. this is the perfect topic for the podcast. How are you? Yes, not too bad. I'm on a couple of days of annual leave. I was meant to be away, but that didn't work out. And so I've just been like chilling at home with the dog, bless her. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I've got nothing to say to that question. Sorry, I put you on the spot there. Sorry. Um, yeah. You know, when it's, it's like when someone says, what are your hobbies? And it's reading. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> TV. Like, I never know what to say. Reading but yeah. <laughs> And magazines and listening magazines. to podcasts. Yeah. Then yeah, exactly. yeah, it was like really forced. Or they say, "What your what's your favorite band?" And I'm like, "Why can't I think of any band now?" But that's so true, actually. Yeah. Nils keeps asking me every day, like, "What my favorite song is?" And I'm like, "Do people have favorite songs? Do you have a favorite song?" I think I've got a collection. Like, I don't Do think you? I could okay. pick one, one song. Yeah, and I, you know, you just you make those like playlists on Spotify, don't you? And as it's like yeah. loads on there, and I feel like it probably changes on a daily basis. Yeah. Okay, before we get into the uh, topics for this episode, we've got to shout out our sponsors at Scrubs underscore UK. So S-C-R-B-S underscore UK. They put you in Scrubs. They make good looking, practical and really comfortable Scrubs that are useful for doctors, nurses, health professionals, carers. I don't know why I keep muffing this line. This is the second time I'm going to say this. I'll keep it. But if you use our promo code, which is Two minutes, T W O M E D I C S 10. You get 10% off. Check them out. Don't rely on what I've said. Check them <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, just yourself. get them for yourself. Yeah. Just get them for yourself. Did you know, like today, October 13th? Oh, gosh, it's Friday the 13th. I've just remembered. I know. Well. Yeah. October 13th is the actual Treat Yourself Day, as per really? as per Tom Haverford and Donna Meagle on Parks and Rec. Yeah, it was oh. October 13th. And I was just looking because I saw, I saw that it was. Do you know right. when that became a thing? Like what year that was? I can't believe it's this long ago. Like Hogs and Wreck. 2011? Treat Yourself. Oh my God. And I was like, that's 12 years 12 ago. 12 years that's ago. insane. But wow. um, that Parks and Rec is still one of my all-time favourite. That and 30 Rock, man. Brilliant. Yeah. We've got a similar so, kind of kooky vibe, I think so. Yeah. 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 Definitely check so, those out if you've not watched them. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favourite character? Yeah. Oh, I do love Leslie. No. Do you? Yeah. Okay, but or either, yeah, yeah but, like, between April oh, Ludgate and, and Leslie, no, I think I probably manifest both of those personalities <laughs> in different ways. Yeah. What about yeah, yours? Fair enough. Obviously, I really Ron. I like his mm. kind of the way he he was fr- so frosty to begin with. And then yeah. the kind of Leslie note kind of making the bit where she surprises him and he goes to Scotland and he gets yeah, all emotional. The, the distillery. Oh. and Yeah, that's so nice. Although, yeah. actually, one of my other favorite characters is his wife, Tammy, because that's his oh, wife in real yeah. life as well, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? But yeah, I think that is, they're such a good partnership. It's yeah, yeah. hilarious when they have those cornrows and dreadlocks put in. Oh, you... yeah, 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 that's yeah, that's so funny. So I really like him. And I also like Jean-Ralphia. The what? 
Yes. Yeah. Don't yeah, be can. suspicious. Don't be suspicious. suspicious. Love Jean yeah, Ralphio. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's only gone really neat, so I hope people watch it. I know, you, yeah. I hope if, people, other people have watched that show. So, yeah. If you haven't, you should. Like, it's really funny. And I think it's pretty, like, timeless in how oh, crazy totally. and, It's all on ITV X or ITV Player, whatever it's called now. I realised the other day. So yeah. It should be available for everyone. Yeah, and I think it's the kind of show that you can watch. And it's it's easy. It's, just, it's fun. It's funny. And it's easy. There's yeah. so much stuff out there at the moment that's just really heavy, isn't it? And oh, I think gosh, it's one of those yeah. shows that you can yeah, it's, it's really lighthearted. Moving on to the topics, you linked the first one. Do you want to introduce that one? Yes. Yeah, so this was a tweet by at Trauma Mom for uh, Jennifer Hartwell, who said, can we stop saying certain patients are VIP? Either everyone or no one is VIP. Stop insinuating that some patients deserve different or better care than others. Um, mm. So I don't know how this came about, but I, one of the hospitals I used to work on, like one of the electronic patient records they had was an American system and some patients were flagged as VIP and I never understood oh. what that was for and I wondered if it's the same thing and someone said oh it's just because they come all the time and I was like I don't think it is that but yeah I don't know it's a strange one that isn't it what makes you a VIP and what extra treatment do you yeah, get yeah. I, yeah it's funny because I guess in my head I'd have assumed that kind of VIP means like famous people or like royalty mm. or something and having, but I've heard it used to re refer to people who are like relatives of staff. Yeah. But isn't there like yeah. a thing which I think someone was saying something along the lines of being a VIP actually carries with it some dangers because you tend to over investigate them and over treat them. And actually that can result in worse outcomes, which is strange. Totally. And so you're supposed to just treat them as the same as you Anyone, would do everyone else. Yeah. Which is really difficult to do, I think, because people get into the profession to want to help people. And of course, if you've got colleagues, you think you want to give them a better experience because I guess you think you need to have some perks from working in healthcare. As, at least I was going to say that there's no, there isn't, there aren't many perks rather, I should say. And I guess that is one of them in terms of knowing how to navigate the system for you and yours, isn't it? And you just yeah. want that, like you say, good experience or it's that looking out for each other or whatever. But yeah, you're yeah. right. Because what you would normally do for someone, you'll either, you know, you'd go either into, what if it's like a senior's relative? I've been in that situation yeah. before where you're just like, oh my gosh, I know I have to do even more now. But in reality, yeah. it's not really, say so you can have an unintended outcome. Yeah, definitely. I think, I can't really think of too many examples, but I definitely had one where I did a procedure on a kind of a member of staff's relatives. But the funny thing was that afterwards she was convinced that the procedure was performed by a woman. Really? It definitely wasn't because it was definitely me. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was me. But <laughs> you she had that very feminine voice through. Shit. I do. I think I must have been. I don't know what was going on, what, what my behavior was like. But she was like, she couldn't be convinced otherwise. And so I was like, okay, fair enough. But yeah, I, so maybe, I don't know. But yes, I think I, when people talk about it and being associated with worse outcomes, I just think it's, there's like kind of weird irony to it, isn't it? And that kind of, in trying to make it better, you make it worse. But trying to explore that thought further and how actually it would make things worse, I still find it difficult to think of actual way. If it's a procedure, then I'd assume perhaps less likely to have the ridge do it and more likely to have the consultant do it. Why would that be worse? I don't know. It just seems. Yeah, I think it might, maybe it might not indirectly be worse, but I guess either maybe there's more anxiety placed on things. So for example, if like a genetic 
Yes, and that sounds awful, but <laughs> a normal non-VIP person. A normie, yeah, without yeah. connections, had a scan as an inpatient. Like they'd obviously wait for the report to come back and then the ward doctors would feed that back. That could be over the course of a couple of days. But I think if it's a so-called VIP, then they have a scan mm -hmm. and then it's that rush to try and get the results. And then if, mm. I always think sometimes if, it, if you had no like emotional connection to that patient, yeah. Sometimes little things you're like, oh, we'll just scan again in a year or whatever. Whereas yeah. all of a sudden, like it's a, it's someone who you know, or a boss or a family member. And I think you probably push that and whether that means like more investigations and then you're going down the realm of, like you say, things that you wouldn't normally maybe do, you're then doing and it's not your normal practice. So I guess you're not actively like causing harm, but I guess it's all those extra, you know, all the problems that we have with testing and what does an abnormal result mean. And, yeah, that's true. Know, all that yeah, kind of stuff, deviating yes. from the kind of evidence and into emotion aren't you but yeah like when I've had like relatives in hospital I've lost all like ability to be rational and I, I'm like that person I was like no do more tests yeah it's so hard so I guess in terms of forming opinions and preconceptions there was a thread from Ria Lang who's a surgeon in Australia right she a general and breast surgeon and I think she's worth a follow because she does talk about yeah. something interesting thing. So at Liang, so it's spelled L-I-A-N-G-R-H-E-A. -E and her tweet was about medical students arriving for their first surgical rotation with, which you put in inverted commas, mental bulletproof vests, which I thought was a kind of colorful way of describing it. As perhaps they've been told that we're horrible, by which means surgeons. Countering mistrust takes the first few weeks and delays their learning journey. And she's done the hashtag operate with respect. And then she was quote-tweeting someone called Lexi Richards and said, this may create controversy, but I need to say it. Med students need to be careful about forming opinions about other medical disciplines before they enter practice. It's disheartening to listen to misinformed views about other providers from people who haven't practiced yet. What do you think about that? Obviously, yeah. the medical students will ask you about kind of life and they ask for like advice. And I guess they make their own observations on things too. And we're getting this air of, or we're push, not allowing them to think for themselves. Is that what's happening? No, I don't. So like for me, so the way I took it was like people slate your specialty, but they've never done it. So it, yeah. it gave me that vibe of, you know, like neurosurgeons do have a stereotype and there is a stereotype for a reason, but it was like that whole tarring people with the same brush and that kind of thing. And it just made me think of a recent-ish experience as um, sitting in GP and one of the medical students was there, like attached to the practice for a couple of weeks. And um, she was just like really disinterested. And, and I just thought, I'm not mm. judging because none of us know. And I was just thinking like, oh, how's it going? Like, what, how's your GP experience been? And she just said, oh, like, I just, I just have to be here. And I was just like, oh. yeah, you do. So do I. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, we all do have to be somewhere. But I just, I said, you can maybe, it's lots of generalist stuff. You can pick up lots of bits. What do you need signed off? Blah, blah, blah. And she yeah. was just like, oh, no, I want to be a neurosurgeon. I'm not really, like, I'm not oh, really interested in like GP. And I was like, well, no, you've got to do everything. And mm. I, she didn't know my background. And she's just, GP is just really boring, isn't it? Like, all you do is just give out sick notes and stuff. Oh. And I was just like, yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. And I, and I just, I just got this air and I just thought like, how dare you? Like, you're a third year medical student. You've not like worked in this capacity mm. at all. Yes, you might have things that you prefer, but I wouldn't just say, I wouldn't, so I couldn't dismissive. imagine saying that. And I think that's what I thought, like Ria Lang was saying, that it's that sort of people are like, oh, surgeons are horrible. So then these students arise placement and whether they're like 
just disengaged or really quiet or shy or whatever because they just think, oh, well, these Done. people are really horrible and stuff. And it's like she said, like that takes a few weeks to get rid of. And I think it's just more that that arsiness of someone who's never done the job. I'm not saying they might have yeah. worked in other spheres of healthcare, but they've never done your job. And then they're just like, they know this is shit anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, because you think it's, it's that it's perhaps not so much the opinion, but it's how they've come to it, which is so closed minded. And you're like, what evidence have you got to that? Have you taken to get oh, to that point? Totally. And, and I, got, um, I, I nearly came a cropper for this like this year. So my, my very last day in Obs and Gyne, Earlier this year, I was moved because of short staffing and I got moved to delivery suite where I'd like, I'd never done a shift on. I don't know how it had happened. And I was kind of, I'd geared myself up for the day that I thought I was going to have. And then when I was moved last minute, I was just like, oh my God, no. what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. So then there was like, there was other SHOs around who were actually like OBS and Gyne inclined trainees, S3s or whatever. And I said to the consultant, look, I've never done this shift before. I'm worried I'm going to like be a bit of a hindrance. But are you happy for me to swap with one of the others? Because it was like my last day, so I didn't care being on the ward or whatever. I just wanted yeah, to get yeah. out of it. And he yeah. was just like, oh. And it was kind of really awkward. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, do you just not want to do delivery suite then? Is it boring to you? And I was like, definitely not I can see how that's come about I was more like shitting myself I just would not have a clue of what was going on but I realized that's how it came about that I was a bit disinterested I just wanted to be on the ward I didn't care whereas mm. actually he was like look you should stay if you've not done a shift on delivery suite you should stay and it was the best shift I'd had in the entire six months was it but oh, I complete I realized like how I fell foul to that as well and just how your behavior if I was him I probably would have felt a bit put out as all this GP trainee yeah. she just said she just wants she's not yeah, bothered yeah, yeah. and there is an element of we are adults we are allowed to like what we like and what we don't like but it's well, that but, how you go about it isn't it yeah yeah that's exactly that's what I was wondering when with that conversation because I was thinking as in with those tweets that ultimately medical students are still adults and they will process the information how they process the information and as whilst you know, it's, I think it's important to present like the positive aspects and not want to, I don't know, suck the air out of a person's sales if they're considering a career. Like at the same time, there's no point in like lying to them. And, but I think it should be like, if you're giving them opinions on stuff, it should be on your own specialty rather than ones that you know little about. But the thing that I'm, I'm desperate to know is with that medical student, did you not, were you not, uh, excuse me, I was like a, I was a neurosurgeon. So, um, I've got, so what are you on about? So I didn't tell what? her, but my boss did. She was yeah, like, at, but at, like at, a, at a separate time. So yeah. I just, I quite enjoyed that. And then she was like, oh, you want to do neurosurgery? Did you know Bethan used to be a neurosurgery trainee? And she was like, no, I didn't know. And I was like, huh, isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that some yeah, shit? I was like, how strange. Did I not yeah. mention that? And I think it's, it's just that, have awareness. And like you say, like we are adults and, we should be allowed to make our own opinions on stuff. But like the fact of medical school is that you have to do certain placements, yeah, whether yeah. you're interested in it or not. Like that is yeah, just yeah. life. So how about you just do it without it's trying to piss off as least many people as possible is always a good true. kind of motto for life, isn't it? Just pretend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like hard. it's for four months or six months or whatever if you're a tra rotational trainee. And also there's stuff that you'll learn that will be applicable skills. Like even if you do it doesn't feel like it, like just because you're not doing 
neurosurgery or just because you're not doing cardiology isn't it and people keep saying like knowing experience in medicine is wasted and I generally do believe that but I'm going to contradict myself here as well because I'm just thinking back to medical school obviously a long time ago but how I did get into trouble because of things like it is just my face like I can't help that unfortunately but that whole like (laughs) yeah as it does many times but that whole like neurodivergent thing and some people call it resting bitch face which I probably do have and not making the eye contact and fidgeting and doing things that allows you to concentrate like I did come a cropper sometimes I the one particular time in my GP placement in university I had this really condescending comment on my report saying that I just wasn't engaged and I wasn't interested and stuff. And I was like, actually, no, it's one of my best placements of the, of the year. But that's, that's just, just really how, concentrating like, really yeah, hard. That's yeah, obviously like my face was in some sort of yeah. snarl, maybe. I don't know. Oh, God. But that's awful, so isn't hard. it? Yeah. It's hard enough accounting for <laughs> your behavior, just in general, but also accounting for stuff that people have read into How it they wrong. take it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. I'm trying to control my emotions on the inside and I have to control what's on the outside as well. Yeah. My nightmare. Two very contrasting things as well. Yeah, but yeah. literally, oh my God, I keep thinking about it. You just sing her while this medical student, oh, this is just doing sickness. And you just, the restraint. Oh my I God, know. you must be like a monk. You I think I'm a monk yeah, I must have been like, brewing something or sick or I don't yeah. know what because that I've never I've never had that again since literally How you yeah not let that come out I'd be like showing you the no, like I say oh as I've said in previous episodes sometimes I've made it my whole personality so sometimes it's like the first thing I say to people but as I'm like oh really neurosurgery god oh my days yeah. anyway I hope she learned a lesson or something but there is a lesson in there she just even if it's just about interpersonal skills it's <laughs> exactly. a valid lesson to learn yeah yeah, yeah, telling a GP trainee that their job is writing sick notes. Oh my yeah. God. One of the topics that seems to come around every so often is those jobs that you need to do that are important as a doctor. And this is not me trying to segue, but it is like literally linked to the next topic, which is about A&E and our kind of perceptions of them. Because there was a funny, there was, there was like a nice summary of the kind of how expansive uh, A&E is. Do you want to know? In that one. Oh yeah was this where they said about the patients they'd seen on yeah. shift yeah so I think we've talked about A&E and GP recently, like relatively recently haven't we and about like how you get all these like completely undifferentiated presentations mm-hmm. and uh, there was a tweet from this week that just said I love emergency medicine in one room there's a 94 year old with an entirely shattered pelvis who's still walking and in the yeah. room next door there's a 17 year old who's waited four hours for advice on how to clean their belly button <laughs> but it's just like that huge juxtaposition, isn't it? You literally don't know what you're going to get. Yeah, it's true. And not to shame that 17-year-old's part of our job is to reassure people, but you're right, isn't it? It's such a, it's such a varied... Is it, and it's like, how do you go from absolutely. like that one cubicle to the next? And yeah. it's like completely having to adjust like your yeah. psyche and your patter and, and everything. Yeah, but I guess absolutely. that's what is interesting in... The, gen- the generalist specialties, if that makes sense, isn't it? That you yeah. literally just don't know what's coming next. Yeah, it's true. And so not just to provide some balance, because it's not like we love A&E. Phil Lee did a quote tweet of a tweet, which was by Oz Kataji. And they said, remember the old saying about journalism? The hours and working conditions are terrible and the pay is shit, but at least everyone hates you. <laughs> and he goes, also applicable to acute and emergency medicine. And bless him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Although there was another tweet from Philly that I liked this week, actually, that links into uh, yeah. to GP. But 
he was he was just treating an interaction he'd had and it said medical student says at this point we'll ice the patient and the treat implies that phil lee's just a bit <laughs> like i don't understand what's going on and then he says so phil lee says you're going to shoot the patient with a glock 17 held sideways <laughs> No, it means ideas, concerns, and expectations. And I like we, we obviously in GP, everyone loves ice. And I yeah. realize sometimes that when I'm in my portfolio and I'm reflecting, I was like, I did the patient's ice, or I, <laughs> really I and it's just it's that kind of I love that phrase, ice the patient. It's, yeah, yeah, that needs to catch classic, on, doesn't it? Yeah, classic acronyms in medicine. I mean, How, yeah, but in reality, because I think when you're speaking to someone, do you actually go? So what are your ideas about what's, or what are your, do you have like go-to little spiel for those questions? So yeah, normally, so you, that's come up in the exam as well. So you like, you don't, you, it's probably best to start consulting in that way. And that right. don't come to me for tips. I'm very much just a trainee, <laughs> but I love, sometimes I like how it buys me time. So I'm just, right. so I'll go in and you do that whole open question. What's brought you in today? And then the really funny yeah. ones will say, oh, a taxi. <laughs> And then, but it, so you just, you're having like those open questions and then you go to your closed questions, examination, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, okay, what do you, what are you worried is going on? So that's always like my main one, rather than what do you yeah. think is going on? I'll say, what are you worried if it hasn't come, become apparent right. and they might, they might not answer. They might say, oh, nothing. And then I say, oh, you know, is there anything that you think is in, it in particular? And then sometimes mm. it will come clear then like. They'd either say, why would I know you're the doctor? Or it's kind of... Oh, like, yeah, that one. I was like, oh, actually, I was hoping for some bloods or I just wanted to touch base. And you're just going through the motions. And then yeah. it just, it buys me time to think, oh, actually, what am I going to do next? And then mm -hmm. in terms of expectations, I would then say, if they've said that they're a scan or they're worried it's cancer or whatever, then that's linked into expectations, isn't it? But then I will just say sometimes, so how, how do you feel the consultation's gone? Do you feel like we've addressed everything today? Is there anything that you were hoping for or that you wanted to tell me that we've not brought up? And then they'll, nice. that will always prompt that as well. But that's just my spiel now. And it well, it sounds like this is gems. I like that last one. Yeah. yeah so it's not, what are your ideas about what's going on? What are your yeah, concerns yeah, yeah. about what is going on? What are your efforts? That's <laughs> probably how I did start. But yeah, it's yeah. more that just, um, it's just, and it's like, it's good information because like you say, people come in often with a hidden agenda. Yeah. Um, and I give a talk about headaches in primary care a couple of months back. And because I read most people who present to headaches from my own anecdotal experience is that they want to scan because they think they've got a brain tumor. Whereas in reality, brain tumors don't normally present with just a headache. That's not what happens. But then instantly what footing you're on when you've established uh, yeah. that in the consultation. So you're not going to say about let's try a tripton or lifestyle measures and then they at the end you realize that all they want was a scan basically and you have to start that process again in that Steve. 10 minutes that we are very yeah. blessed with in, in a, an appointment time <laughs> yeah fair enough i think yeah there's but there is an art isn't it to like getting what you want work seeming organic i feel like that's like a silly way to say it because i'm saying like to describe it because i but i feel like sometimes I worry about sounding a bit like a robot that's just mm. like shooting out questions. But of course, there's got, there's like an element of that certainly because it, in a sense that you want to be clear that you're asking them questions and you want an answer to it. And sometimes if it's yeah. too conversational, I think it can get a bit lost. To um, totally. There is definitely a fine balance. And I think the robot thing I've noticed if I'm doing like something that's maybe more of a specialist in neurosurgery or like one of my hostel rotations, like 
I will have literally a patter and I'll hear myself mm. asking the question yeah. in the same way. Then obviously, like, we are mostly human. We have <laughs> that. Yeah, we adjust things from what react to what we've been told. But there are certain things that I will just ask the same way each time because yeah. we've done it hundreds and hundreds of times over the years, haven't we? And it's the skill is that you can adjust yourself if you're faced with something yeah, yeah. that you weren't expecting. You can alter yourself. Whereas I guess some of, that's some of the arguments, isn't it, about people also in healthcare who haven't been trained in the same way. They are sometimes more protocol and very regimented and yeah, might not be able true. to go off on those tangents and stuff. That's so true. There's something to be said for asking a question in a slightly different way and then like di- like getting a response that you can't and then being like ah that's how i'll frame it next time yeah and uh, how that experience and it's weird isn't it because it might be that it works for your particular pattern or that particular sentence might not work for everyone and something because there, there'll be times where you'll see bosses or colleagues and they'll say something and you're like oh i like that line yeah and still that line, i love you know? that when that happens. and yeah and then you like mold yourself into and i think again circling back to when you we were talking about the breadth of experience but seeing lots of different people in different specialties you can you can steal stuff off them oh, and you're more likely yeah. to yeah um i, I there you, you link this really cool tweet which I think, I think we should mention which is from tom lawton who i think he, so he, get, he goes intensive care is ignoring tens of screaming alarm and wandering to make coffee but still treating a quiet is there any chance i can have a hand in here as a serious emergency it undoubtedly is and I thought it was really interesting it because is, isn't it? it shows that kind of weird kind of juxtaposition, right, of seriousness and how we, and somebody linked in their intraoperative surgical risk assessment tool. Did you see that reply? Oh, the, the inverse law. Yeah. Uh, Have you, I'd not heard of it No, before. this What's is really interesting, isn't it? So it was saying that the volume of profanity is inversely proportional to the perceived surgical threat. Yeah, exactly. The quieter a surgeon swears, the more worried we should be about what is happening on the other side. Which is, it's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think all of us have walked into ITU on one of our jobs and you've got alarms, whether it's from the monitoring, the feed pump, the ECG leads come off. But like everyone, yourself included, is just carries on. But then sometimes just a sentence said in a different tone of voice. It's, it's just weird what our brain tunes in and out to. That's not maybe on yeah. quite a conscious level sometimes. I know. And it's just, it's funny how it's a code, isn't it? Because yeah. I guess to maybe someone from the outside, the alarms sound alarming. That's the point of them. Yeah. But they're just so awesome. And, they're so, and I think for me, when I saw that, it like really summed up the art of medicine which is being able to disregard all these like alarms and weird the red numbers when you're looking at the blood results and the red yeah. ones which ones are really actually yeah. important yeah. and being able to be like that's not important and then some so, sometimes something really crucial can be just really understated i liked how the person went on to illustrate it by saying an inventively profane surgeon may happily curse throughout the list but a sudden lowering of volume signifies an increased need for concentration or surgical difficulty even more deserving of anaesthetic concern would be hearing a surgeon who does not generally swear at all, uttering a barely audible, Christ, yeah, a little more than a whisper. Chills should run through their alert anaesthetist at this point in consideration of preparing their cell saver quite well be in order. <laughs> but like in the lab, we, yeah, in the lab we have, because I guess you have a con- hopefully a conscious patient and there are certain codes that people are supposed to use to deliver urgency without kind of freaking out the person on the table on some of them i think and i think they've learned it 
from human factor stuff. One of them is, are you happy with that blood pressure? And then if, if you haven't picked up on that, I'm not happy about that blood pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> Rather than, oh, yes. shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like one, one of my favorites is when like a physiologist will say, Oh, a little run of V's there. And they basically mean <laughs> yeah. run into VT. And you're like, yeah. run of V. But there's, a, there's actually a tweet from uh, another Bethan oh, where, yeah. oh God, where is it? So and, she... Yeah, understatements. It's the oh. yeah, last one of this little section. It's so good. It's so good. Like she goes, what an iconic example of the British understatement. And that was in reference to, oh, it's a Welsh ambulance yeah, service. Yeah, it is. It's, oh, says, only in Wales. It must have been a Only in Wales, maybe. It yeah. yeah. must have been. Yeah. So it goes, paramedics Jamie Shaw and Chris Ellis, emergency medical technician Sarah James. Well, there's a few of them. They came to Ian's aid and determined that their friend and colleague was having a heart attack. As they loaded him into the ambulance, the 58-year-old went into full cardiac arrest. Ian recalled, I started having chest pains in the afternoon, but I just put it down to indigestion. Oh, common mistake. It got progressively worse to the po- point where Sean said, that's it, I'm phoning. I remember being carried onto the ambulance and saying to the crew, what rhythm is it? Wait, no, what rhythm am I in? When I saw it, I just said, oh dear, that's not good. I don't remember <laughs> oh much dear. after that. <laughs> in the end, moments later, Ian arrested. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. There you go. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, yeah that is typical British, isn't it? Oh, I do, I do believe I might be in yes. cardiac arrest. Oh, oh my gosh! You <laughs> don't put the kettle on. Yeah, 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 yeah typical. Brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's just, it is. It's just really funny, and I just think again, like you can't teach that stuff without having like years of experience of yeah. knowing what to worry about and what not to worry about, and like people say in GP, like hundreds of patients and thousands of patients probably over the course of your career, but. There's a lot of talk about gut feeling as well, isn't it? Because you've mm. seen so many patterns and things and whilst you might not be able to always explain it, sometimes you just see a symptom or an account of something from a patient and you're just like, I don't mm. the sound of this. Yeah. And it just gets the ball rolling. Whereas that has never been taught in a lecture or a, a textbook or whatever, similar to all these alarms. And healthcare environments are really noisy, aren't they? Like this, the like the least peaceful places that exist. But yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what to tune it. I don't know. I just, I find it fascinating. The psychology of it is fascinating. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah. It's funny that you should mention it because it does create like a, it does remind me of the time when I saw this guy who I'd have been asked to see as like a cardiology referral. And it's this young dude who basically had some chest pain after playing basketball and standard thing, like whenever like someone has chest pain comes to hospital, even though this guy, I think it's the, he's in his thirties. And no risk factors or anything. And he'd had a small troponin rise. And I remember I'm being like, this is ridiculous. It's quite 20. Like, why the hell have I been called to see him? Right. And I'm like talking to him and he goes, yeah, I had chest pain. And then I passed out a little bit. And then when I came around, my friends were like, these. and I was like, sorry, you passed out a little bit. And then he goes, yeah, so I had the chest pain and then I passed out a little bit, but my friends just sat my face and stuff. And then they were like, no, you need to come to hospital. And I was like, okay. I was like looking through the notes and I was like, nobody's mentioned this. And I had this like really like bad feeling about it. And I was like, oh, spidey sense. Yeah, literally. Like, oh. And so then I was like, oh, that's a bit strange. Anyway, so then I listened to his heart and this like whopping great big murmur and stuff. I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't like that. So I thought, oh, I'll do an effort. And then he had basically had an aortic dissection. Wow. And the dude, and he's been like treated like it was an ACS or chop positive, chest pain, yeah. bosh, ACS treatment. Refer to cardiology, job done, let's go and get some beers in, right? Yeah. And so the guy had been in the hospital for 24 months. He'd been in the hospital for a little while when I'd done that. 
And yeah, that was very stressful. Mad, that is it? And, and I, that's, and like all that, you get yours, like sometimes your senior colleagues and they pass down that anecdotal kind of experiences and then the wisdom and stuff. And there was a post from, excuse me, my voice keeps going in and out tonight, but there was a post from Dr. Rodrigo Gerardo about some advice that he was oh, yeah, given. Be. And I just love stuff like this. Like I could yeah, listen to like consultants talk about this kind of stuff. So he was yeah. saying that he got given this advice and it's, basically the five rules of shit so the first one is give a shit you've worked hard to gain the privilege healing people in their most vulnerable moments so take pride in that and let it fuel your work ethic the second rule is know your shit don't let your lack of knowledge result in poor care take the time to look up details etc etc the third one is you don't have to feel like shit i like that one actually burnout is real it affects more doctors and we know if you find your empathy waning and your patience is short consider the fact that you may be overworked and underslept the fourth one again i like because more people need to listen to this one don't be a little <laughs> shit <laughs> yeah absolutely culture praises those who refuse referrals and etc cetera, etc cetera, but it's it's a bit it it shouldn't be tit for tat should it we yeah. we're all there for the, the same reason and then the last one Again, very true. Shit happens. Even with our yeah. best efforts, the worst outcomes can happen. And I really like that, that it's true, isn't it? And again, these are the things that people just can't teach you. There's no handbook that says these things, but mm. that's just really good advice for doctors. Absolutely. He ends on this really strong line, doesn't he? Don't blame yourself for everything, because at the end of the day, if you did your best, that's all we can ask for. Learn from the bad situations, but don't let them weigh you down. Yeah, yeah great. totally. Great so people should definitely check that out. That was on October the 9th. That was a good one. Thanks yeah, for I'll link that in the newsletter. Yeah, definitely. So another really, oh, we're like, we're dispensing loads of education this week, I feel. <laughs> this spinning, spinning knowledge. The tweet from Jimmy Lamb. This is a really good thread, I thought. What analogies do you commonly use to explain medical concepts to patients? I like comparing osteoporosis to having missing bricks in a wall, which renders it prone to breaking. And having low calcium or vitamin D is like having poor quality bricks. Hence, important to treat both to bone health. That was, um, was good. And there are a few kind of other good ones in there. So there was one of gout. We all make uric acid. And normally it's dissolved in blood, like salt in a glass of water. If I have too much salt in a glass of water, it won't dissolve. Similarly, too much uric acid doesn't dissolve in blood and precipitates out into joints, causing a gout attack. There was um, a dementia one as well, which is quite good. And it said... The shelves fill from, so this was an analogy, sorry, about memory and dementia. So the shelves fill from the bottom up with long-term memory. More recent memories are higher up. When the shelf is shaken, top shelves empty first. Hence, patients forget what happened today, but not 20 years ago. I really like that because as I'm doing memory clinic at the moment, people are like, sometimes it seems quite counterintuitive how People can, that people will say to me like, oh, but my mum can remember like what she did 30 years ago on her birthday, but then can't remember what she had for breakfast this morning. And it's, it's, I've always found it like really hard to explain that. And people mm. don't want the science of it. Normal people just want to know, is that normal or whatever? And yeah. that's quite a good analogy. And I actually bookmarked Jimmy's main uh, tweet because I was like, I'm actually going to use some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like the sessions one. Bile is essentially like very liquid. It's green and it helps break down facts. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like that. It's a but... classic surgical response as well. I, <laughs> yeah. I like that. But yeah, yeah yours, so yours are good about blood vessels and being obviously coronary arteries and being fewer lines to an engine. So I always catch myself sometimes when I say like blood vessel to a patient and I realize even those are not technical 
word in, in separation. Not everyone would know what a blood vessel is. And I do find myself mm. going into, oh, they're just like tubes or pipes, but the, yeah, yeah it's, it's a weird one. Isn't it's it? difficult, isn't it? I think that is one of the beauties of specializing in something is that when you feel like you understand a topic more, I, I think you're, it does mean that you're, because of your understanding of certain concepts, oh, it does okay. mean that you're better able to use like analogies and stuff, yeah. right? And that flexibility, um, that's where the flexibility comes again, isn't it? And thinking outside the box and adjusting yeah. your language. And it's not, even though some questions we can ask can be like parrot fashion, the way yeah. we just instantly react to what we're faced with. Yeah, one of my favorites from Neuro was about how the skull is a fixed box, like it can't expand. So <laughs> you've got your brain and if there's a bleed or swelling, then it has to go somewhere because the brain, the skull can't stretch and accommodate it. And that explains that because some of those concepts of pressure and stuff. But whereas like I think there's other bits, there's other specialties that I would probably not, the osteoporosis one, I wouldn't have had a good kind yeah, of analogy nice, in the back it? of my mind until I've read yeah. that. But like you say, it's definitely what we're comfortable with. Yeah. There was another, there was one, wasn't there, about myeloma and MEMGAS, which is like when you, it's like having Lego bricks, but when you've got like myeloma, you're producing too many just green bricks and that causes a problem. I think it's like a nice way of kind of illustrating it. Is, yeah, uh, let's not do too much more education stuff. Actually, speaking of education, there was one that kind of really sunk. Oh, the account no longer exists. Person deleted their account oh, over this. Oh, yeah. Was this oh, about the gosh. exams and things? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so my. I was looking for this earlier as well. So they've obviously gone after the backlash, but essentially it was that they, they were insinuating about exams. And, and I, I wrote down one of the sentences from the original tweet. And the sentence was people usually fail due to lack of preparation and insight about postgraduate really? exams, which was incredibly short sighted and actually not insightful whatsoever. <laughs> because I don't know, that's like not the reason like you can be full of insight and have prepared for everything revised for months but you don't know what's yeah. going to come up on that exam and what other external factors and from yeah. mental well-being physical health point of view so just yeah. put it down to that or you just didn't try hard enough Piss yeah off. i think i know the guy who he went to medical school with me and he's a nice guy he was a type of person who would say things i feel like because he hoped they'd be seen as notable. And, and I got the vibe from that thread. That's what he was going for. He was trying to do some kind of pissy statements for like life learning. And it just ended up falling flat because it didn't seem that wasn't particularly authentic. Maybe it was authentic to his experience. Like maybe he wasn't prepared and didn't have insight when he was preparing for exams. But I think the thing is that when people, I think uh, as adults, like preparing for exams, is at any age, preparing for exams is hard. And um, I think when people fail exams, coming to them from a place of judgment, I think it just came across as really unsympathetic, doesn't yeah, it? Really and, yeah, it's really horrible because yeah, no one knows yes. your reasoning. And sometimes there's exactly. no reason apart from being bloody unlucky. It's yeah. happened to us all. But talking about things which could be like deemed as easy or hard there was a lot of mainly on Australian med twitter which is not somewhere I've ventured very mm. often but I think I don't know who this guy is Hamish Blake but he made he's some someone in Australia and he made a comment quite publicly about how GP is really easy and I think he said something about it's a walk in the park. It's just coughs and colds and referrals. And then obviously uh, lots yeah. of backlash and lots of Australian GPs were like, all right, then come and join me and give it a go. 
But I like Ruth's kind of take on that. So Ruth Mitchell is an incredible lady. I think she's won a Nobel Prize as well, this lady. Has she? Yeah. She's a paediatric no. neurosurgeon. I yeah, opened that. She in Australia. Wow. Yeah, she's so awesome. She's won a Nobel Peace Prize in the past as well. Just go and check her out. Her handle Jeez. is at Dr. So D.R. Ruth Mitchell. And she, she, I liked her kind of take. So she just said, and this resonated with me as well, without any question, being a GP would be the toughest gig in medicine for me. The scope of practice is as wide as the human experience. The possible diagnoses endless. What's the underlying problem? It could be anything or nothing. Neurosurgery is so much more defined and confined. Um, and and it's just, like that. It resonates, doesn't it? It's again right? not knowing what you're just going to be faced with. Whereas yeah. if you're a cardiology or neurosurgery on call, and oh, there's a we've taken a referral. There's a STEMI coming across. Like you don't know the ins and outs. It's mm-hmm. going to be a STEMI that needs PCI mm-hmm. or whatever, isn't it? Whereas You've got some, I guess, certainty in that respect then. You don't know other things that can happen, but with any generalist specialty, you don't have There's that. No predicting. Not, not, yeah, not just sick notes, not just coughs and colds. Yeah. I have to say that tweet, even before you examine the content of it, just the way it's written is just delightful. This person, yeah. just the way that the scope of practice is as wide as the human experience, the possible diagnoses, endless. That's like poetry. I know. I've got a massive it? girl crush on Ruth. Yeah, yeah she's amazing. Ended. Um, but there were some, the only positive about that stupid comment anyway, was that there were so many cool stories from GPs being like, well, I did this. And there was this one GP who's written about, I think they were in that Australian, they were in some area remotely in Australia and they'd been brought a really sick child and they'd had to literally, when they'd given them like emergency antibiotics, they're really septic and they had to be like, so it was just like crazy stuff. And I could see, I think, where do you think? I say, oh, I remember, oh, like, I'd be like, oh, back in the old yeah, days, people had respect for your family doctor. But I do feel like something's happened. And I don't know if certainly in the UK stuff happened when GPs were given some control over finances and stuff. And I feel like that was like the beginning of the end in terms of for basic respect for GPs. And suddenly loads of stuff have just, loads of things have just been like nailed onto them as time has gone on. Yeah. Whether it's, oh, they need to see people face to face. Just having pop up them, it just seems like the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Um, I've seen people say in the past, I hate, I'm not going to advocate the word gatekeeper. I hate how GPs are described as gatekeepers for secondary care. Mm. No, like GPs are specialists in their own sense. They're not, yes, they do refer onwards, but there's so many things that are managed in the community in primary care that are specialist conditions that people wouldn't know because we prevent them from getting to hospital or whatever, like diabetes, heart failure, load. But I think what the kind of people I've seen as well, the argument is that often GP is like the easiest person for people to contact. Anyone who's disgruntled, they're just going to let rip on that first kind of port of call, aren't they? Which is either going to be like the admin staff of the surgery on picking up that phone or the GP. And then by the time they get to hospital and outpatients or having their surgery or whatever, they're all then full of praise for the hospital doctors because they are the ones that, you know, in quotation marks, fixed them or treated their problem or found out what the diagnosis was after scans and stuff. But the GP, they'll always get it in the neck just because they're that first person there. Like it's that human condition, isn't it? Of like when you're at your wit's end and you need to rant, you're just going to do it to the first person that kind of you come across. But I think that's what's becoming increasingly hard in general practice is that you can't be that punching bag like for your own sanity. It's just yeah. not doable. 
Is there any wonder that it? I imagine it probably has an effect on the number of people who are either entering training or staying in GP, as in going for salaried or more permanent roles after training and just choosing to click so. and choose. And it's why, like people, why it's people are really advocating for that portfolio career now as a GP because to keep your head above water in your traditional mm. GP day job, like you're needing to do these other things that actually like fill up your cup that interest you or. Yeah. Some people then are just leaving like GP altogether because it's a good generalist qualification, but the yeah. system doesn't prop you up for keeping healthy in body and mind when that's what you're faced with every day in this country at the moment. It's just not, it's not conducive. No, we have to, we've got some neurosurgical topics here that we have to go over. It's yeah. really important too. There was a tweet from um, at cannula underscore service which said, I'm not a neurosurgeon, but I thought it was the role of a trained psychologist or speech and language therapist to assess, assess function during awake cranies. Cranies, craniotomies. Oh, uh, I see. Not a PA who boasts of never having learned any neurology during their degree. Shrug. Oh, okay. So they're quoting, I'm not sure where they've got this. Um, so I think this is, so what I've noticed of late is obviously there's like, we've got a podcast and there's like PA podcasts and stuff and quite, a lot of transcripts have appeared because there's this whole thing, isn't it? A debate about um, PAs and things and whether they're being, doctors are being replaced and so on. And I think this might have been one of the trans, part of a transcript from one of uh, a episode that was talking to a physician associate in neurosurgery and what they did. And I think that was what the really troubling thing was because they said zero training in neurosurgery, neurology, and then it's all on the job learning and they now scrub and operate on things like subdural hematomas. They do lumbar puncture drains, lumbar drains, sorry, intracranial pressure bolts. Burr um, holes as well. Burr holes. And that also during awake craniotomies, which is what this tweet was referring to, they are assessing speech and motor functions. Now, everywhere I've worked, a speech and language therapist has done that or a physiotherapist or whatever. Luckily, again, when I've worked, it's been all trainees doing operative procedures because I just don't know, again, I'm not saying if a PA's been in a department for a long time, of course, they're going to get to learn to do stuff. But PA's doing literal neurosurgery. I'm like, again, why would yeah. you bother trying to get a training member, all that stress, all that? Can, yeah. Is it really, though, a case of issues? Of course, if you've been in a department for a certain amount of time. Because for like, lumbar punctures but- and stuff, I think. For lumbar punctures, yes, as long as they are maybe not the people who have had previous, sur- you know, surgery and stuff like that, like more routine lumbar punctures. Yeah. But for but, surgery, but then, I don't think it's enough. I think you need a lot of experience to know. Yeah. I just want to know, obviously doing a PA degree is going to be more more relevant training than, say, if you're like, maybe a healthcare assistant in terms of yeah. what you so like, like diagnostics you, because, and clinical skills and stuff yeah sure so like you but you wouldn't necessarily assume the kind of career progression of someone who was like a healthcare assistant would be to doing like regular procedures and things yeah, and I get you. so I, I guess I'm getting I'm, I'm making a, like a terrible like link but I guess my point is that and I know people get upset about is uh where the clear kind of demarcation is and yeah. if it and whether that's important because i guess say for example if we're talking about lumbar punctures and stuff you're going to know so much more about this than i do because i just wonder say if 
they were talking about management of complications and stuff. This is what the kind of, it boils down to other than obviously there are people who get upset because they feel like doctors are being displaced and they lose training opportunities. If you move that to the side, which is obviously an important topic in itself. It is valid. You think about yeah, all the absolutely. other, just management of complications and like the, the legal ramifications yeah. of it. I like, I wonder, like trust must be worried, right? If there's like a problem, um, something goes wrong. I don't know if they are because I just feel, I feel like if they were, I feel like there would be more guidance on what people can and cannot do. And then I know we're all, we grow very cynical, don't we? Because I'm just not convinced that there is probably that concern there. And then I feel like things only change when something like catastrophic happens, as we've seen in other situations. But again, like you say, aside from the whole fact that we're losing training opportunities and stuff, and it's not personal in that respect, it's the whole thing that like there is no regulator. If I'm doing a procedure and I make a mistake, like I am held accountable and can be investigated by a regulatory body, whereas I don't know what, whilst there's no regulator, what PAs would do. And again, like you're right, it's the whole complication thing because you do, our, I just feel like our train of thought, we're not like, we've become this way because of medicine and our training, the, the whole, like anyone can do a procedure. I certainly believe that, but only experienced practitioners can deal with the complications and when something's not straightforward or something just deviates from the norm that's where the skill lies and not everyone can do that and I just think for someone who's done a two-year degree and then I don't know it just doesn't I can't get those to marry up in my mind and I don't mean any disrespect at all but it's just very much about knowing your limitations and I'm just not sure that like say it's just not clear-cut at the moment yeah it's strange isn't it because it's like where is also where is the need? Like you've got plenty of trainees like queuing oh up to like gosh, want to look, do a lot of these things. Down numbers and stuff. Yeah, so it's just yeah. So it's not like they're filling like an unmet gap in that way. And so again, again, that's also where frustration is going to be because it's like it's simply because the uh, the most kind of obvious explanation is that because they're in one place for a period of time, so that's why they're favoured because they kind of form relationships with people that they obviously spending more time with and yeah. people have. And then people talk about rotational training and that kind of cycle of like argument continues. But I guess until the training experience is made adequate, it's not going to be resolved. Because I feel like there are some people, like if you look at Anons, I guess, on Twitter or on Adopted UK, I get the impression they probably would only be happy if there were no PAs at all. And I feel like that's not going to happen either. Yeah, that's the issue. And And I don't think that's like even realistic or beneficial at all. I don't feel like we should just banish the whole profession, but it, there needs to be more clear cut guidance of what is it? Are they that original? I know this nomenclature has changed from physician assistant to physician associate over the years and stuff. But going back to what was the main reason and as what I gathered from discussions is that it was that supportive role. And now it's obviously, is it just a cheaper workforce and stuff? But like you say, yeah, there's are certain kind of crusades. It feels like they just want to banish anyone who's not a doctor. And you're like, come on, like, yeah. why would you even want to do that? Yeah. yeah. Ultimately, I think I've noticed, I guess, what they're like jumping on our news stories where kind of PAs have made mistakes, which also is not such a great vibe because that's not really, I don't know. No, I feel like mistakes. Yeah, We're agree. not infallible not. whatsoever. It's That's a really weird no. argument to or hill to die on as if no doctor's yeah. ever made an error. But I think like accountability is going to be something that I guess people rightly will talk about more. I'm just not sure if like regulation is going to be enough. I think it's going to be a case of having clearly demarcated roles. Yes. And also, sort of, yeah. 
And I, I think questions have to be asked about where the funding for this is all coming from and whether it can be put to better use because in a lot of ways, training up doctors would make more sense in terms of, would make more sense in terms of safety and yeah. being able to deliver like more comprehensive, surely. Uh, like I said, there is a need for it. Like there's huge bottlenecks. Yeah. There's a massive need, but I'm going to make a really good segue now. going from one yeah. shit storm to another. Right. I linked a couple of poop fart related tweets. This oh week. yeah. I, just, nice. I was literally uh-huh. going like, I was like regressing to my like 10 year old boy phase, but there was a, re- there was a tweet that I just couldn't figure out like what, how I felt about it. And to this day, I'm reading it back and I'm just thinking like, what would happen if that was me? This was by Rosie, whose um, handle is at gas woman cometh. And she just posted a poll and said, my colleague has just trodden in a massive pile of poo in a hospital corridor. We have questions. Should she A, burn her shoes, B, date X the turd, three, send the turd for DNA testing or four, bleep the med reg? And I'm just like, before I even answer this poll, and my answer was bleep the med reg, obviously. But before yeah. I even answer this poll, what was a massive poo doing on the corridor? Doing in the corridor? I like, nobody's die. asked that question. No, I literally would be like, oh, this is my life over now. Like, I just have to, yeah. like, keel over and protect. I am no more. Like, I've expired. I just could not live my life knowing that I've just yeah. stood on a massive hospital poo <laughs> in my theatre box. <laughs> just have to self-combust. Yeah. I like to go ahead. Dr. Kidney Ash's reply, which is, this is a two, 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 two. Oh, I just got that. Leave. No. I mean, just, Rosie was like, number twos are definitely involved. <laughs> I, I was like, two, 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 two. So I was like, ooh. So this was posted on October the 10th, and it's taken me three days to understand oh. that joke. Oh, so I'm glad was, we got there. We got there together. It's a slow week for me. But there was one as well about, about farting. Sorry, guys. I should have said it should be right. a toilet humor warning. But this was, I think this is an American account at Sam's right. Feeling Good. And they just said, I just farted whilst I was presenting Eminem in front of the whole program. I will not be taking questions at this time. <laughs> Again, I would just die. I'd be like, the yeah. end. Yeah, how would you even style that out? What are you supposed to do? Would you just and plow something, on Yeah, or would you pretend it's oh, your great. shoe or something? Just this massive, <laughs> oh, I've got squeaky <laughs> shoes on today. <laughs> shoes. But if it happens like whilst you're talking, and so you just have to keep kind of speeding up. It's loud, speeding up yeah. 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 <laughs> get people like moving on i literally could feel the shame inside my chest when i read those i just not the shame but you know the embarrassment because i would just absolutely be mortified yeah fair enough talking about how how we could talk i don't know this depends on perspective and it's ronan keating so if that's shit or not it's really (laughs) up to some guys to hold it but so chris wilde he did a tweet where he said bloke on the table next to us at lunch has ronan keating's lyrics tattooed on his forearm and he did ask, oh, as in people guessed, and of course it was Life of a Roller Coaster. Oh, was it? it? That was a pure guess. It That's the only Ronan Keaton song I know, actually. And it goes, he had a small picture of a roller coaster and above it, the words, life is a roller oh, coaster. Just got a ride on, just got a ride. It was written underneath in a different font. And it was for some reason the only part in inverted commas. His other forearm said, That's Amore. Oh. <laughs> That's Amore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hilarious. Oh, dear. I am. Um, that is. Oh yeah, people. It's like people having song lyrics tattoos tattooed is funny. I think I'd probably, I would. I'm not counting myself from this. Like I would definitely do it. But I knew someone yeah. once. What did you was, get tattooed? I don't know. Some maybe. Oh gosh, I'm just trying to think of something really funny and witty, and I have nothing. But oh, yeah, I'd, I'd it's like that favorite song thing. Go on. What would yours be? Life in plastic is fantastic. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Is it a double? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like- 
they, I knew someone who, and they were a big, I think it was Depeche Mode fan and, and he had on his um, tattooed in, enjoy the silence, but it was done in this cursive writing. So silence right. didn't look like silence. It looked like enjoy the Salim. And I was just oh, like, what God. does that mean? Yeah, mortified, but oh, yeah, yeah I had quite cool. a few embarrassing tattoos actually. It's a talking point, isn't it? I suppose so. It gets you all. It gives talking. me something else to talk about than how I used to be a neurosurgeon, but something else yeah. that I can add to my book. I think we should, we're, we're calm to time, but I wanted to end on a bombshell that made me angry, which is men need to make peace with knowing that there was no UK footballer more famous than the Spice Girls in 2000. Just on clinch. Yeah, that's true, man. They, they were a force. I just think back now and the whole like vibe that Spice World movie came out, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Spice Girls 2000, that was a You're a phenom. Time. Yeah, different not. time. We've never reached those kind of heady heights. Things were far simpler then. I used, used to collect like those Spice Girl photos that I'd get from like the off license and have them in a little photo album that I thought was were real photos that someone had taken. They were like, no, they're just like printed trading cards. <laughs> Everybody, anybody can buy them. I was like, no, it's a real photo. Look how shiny it is. <laughs> the man oh, from the oh. off license took these pictures. But yeah, it's, it, yeah, that was a wild time. Just any like late nineties, like early noughties, good yeah. times. Yeah, good times. Do you want to end with a little bit of advice or like a line? I won't end with advice. It is advice, and and this is a tweet actually that really made me laugh. Was and it's just to do with our age. I think Rasheen tweeted, "Just had to pause and reflect on the speed of aging." I felt as I just asked my boyfriend if he also wanted to make sure he takes an omeprazole tablet before we leave to go and see Blink One Eight Two. Don't forget your PPIs, people. We're, we're yeah, all so at that age now. Yeah, don't yeah. forget that, Meprazole. Oh, and I hope it's not a heart attack. If it does end, if it oh, is yeah, a digestion, gotcha. I hope it is literally just reflux. <laughs> but yeah, right, guys. you look after <laughs> yourselves. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.